Good evening and welcome to A Yarn Live. This is a special series that we're kicking off and this is the first episode uh, and it is about a future with COVID. So right now New Zealand is under level four lockdown and we had the announcement that we're going to be extending level four um, and we've obviously got Delta in the country and it's raised the discussions again and of course there are a diverse range of perspectives out there which are to be respected and listened to. So uh, with the suggestion from another sir, uh, Sir Ian Taylor, he said, why don't you frame it up as Talanoa, uh, rather than a yarn, a Talanoa. So we'll get all the branding swapped over. We just couldn't get it done in time, but we'll get it swapped over to a Talanoa Live to really reinforce this concept that it is about listening, and notice that word comes first, and sharing uh, with respect. So, you know, I couldn't make the point any stronger um, as I said, even the views that I don't agree with, I'm going to be listening to, respecting and exploring through discussion. So tonight we have our first two special guests um, and you'll probably recognise both of them or at least a, a large number of people in my audience will. Um, we have uh, the Grand Amigo, Sir Ray Avery, and we also have uh, Kay Marie Dunn, Kai Whakahaere from uh, making things, making everything accessible. I'm going to have to let you do that part. But um, with that, I'll go with the old traditional ladies first. So, Kay Marie, if you could introduce yourself for everybody, then we'll go to Ray, and then we'll kick off with what your particular focus is for about five minutes each. About five minutes, might be six or seven, but about five. Um, and then we'll come back to a you know, group discussion and throw bits and pieces about, answer questions, comments if they've risen up in the time, and uh, generally respectfully share and listen to all these different uh, focuses or, or perspectives. So with that, I'll hand over to you, Kay Marie. Oh, tēnā koe, kia ora tātou. Tūtahi mihi tēnei kia koe Ryan, kia koe Matua Rei. Kia koutou kua kia mātakitaki mai tēnei kōrero. Nga mihi kautu kia koutou. Ko Kay Marie dan tōku ingoa, ko hau he uri mo te taitokerau. Um, no waikato tainui, uh, ngai tāmanu hiri me Ngāti Kahungunu. Um, ko hau te kaiwhakahaere o te kamupene, ko making everything achievable. Um, so kia ora everyone, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, I'm very, very um, pleased to be in this conversation um, beside um, Ray Avery. I have been watching and seeing a lot of his um, feedback on uh, the COVID-19 response. I'm really interested to be here to learn. I love that this is Talanoa. Um, so Talanoa in um, Te Reo Māori is, um, I think, whakarongo and wānanga. So I think we're going to be having a good opportunity to listen and learn from one another. Kia tato. Well, thank you very much for introducing yourself and giving us that rundown and a bit of your perspective. Look forward to hearing more from you shortly. And now if we could uh, invite you, Grand Amigo, so Ray, to uh, introduce yourself. And um, as you probably be pretty well known. If you could give people a little bit of context to your background, um, I stole some off your um, LinkedIn profile and you dropped some into your posts. But if you could give everyone, in case they don't know your background, a bit of, a bit of an idea as well as, um, you know, as part of your introduction. Right, well, firstly, um, uh, well, thanks for having me uh, on the program. And I want to just um, say, uh, Kay, um, it's fantastic to have you um, uh, in the team here because um, um, one of my problems in life is that I'm a pharmaceutical scientist and I've spent most of my 50-year career looking at ways of how we can improve healthcare on a global scale and that includes not only manufacturing pharmaceuticals but building pharmaceutical plants and in the last 30 years I've been particularly working in developing countries building hospitals uh, and uh, cancer hospitals and children hospitals and reducing what we call hospital acquired infections, which is really on the ground stuff about how you deal with um, infectious diseases. And that's one of my problems is that I'm a scientist. And so I tend to deal really with facts rather than, um, you know, sort of a discussion about things. And it's very difficult because in science, uh, often uh, we get papers that contradict each other. So all we end up with is an average of what we know about science. And um, we used to think that asbestos was a fantastic insulator in schools, uh, but of course it turned out to be something quite different. So my background is always, um, my, my reference point is, is does it add up from a scientific perspective? So it's not really 
my opinion so much as uh, there's an old saying that if you um, talk, um, you're just reiterating things that you know, but if you listen, you learn things. But in this case, I'm trying to use my acquired knowledge in a practical sense to inform people in New Zealand um, about what possibly the best strategies. And I say possibly because there's no absolute truth in science, um, but possibly what the best strategies we might be able to pursue. And more importantly, to open the discussion and see whether to the average lay person what we're doing makes any kind of sense. So that's my, uh, my introduction. Well, thank you very much. And I think if I can uh, summarise that, it, it makes a really good point in that, um, you know, I, I actually say when I'm talking about things, when I was five, I got taught to brush my teeth this way. And when I was 10, they told me to brush my teeth round and round. And then when I was 15, they told me to go up and down. Um, so, yeah, as, as our information changes, so do our conclusions. And a really simplistic way is, you know, what's the best way to get from the top of the cliff to the bottom of the cliff? Is it jump off the cliff? or walk down the stairway. So um, I think as we walk down that stairway, collecting different bits of information along the way from these diverse discussions, uh, people will start to get, uh, get, I was gonna say get educated, but I don't wanna assault them. So I'll go back a step and say, pick up additional knowledge that they didn't have before listening to our range of speakers. So um, with that, shall we um, start, if we go back, go back in reverse order, Ray, if you'd like to share your sort of five minutes input of you know, what your focus is uh, around the you know, a future with COVID, um, the different parts of the science, the, the, the A, the B, the yin and the yang, um, however you want to shape that up, that'd be fantastic. Well, there's a, well I'll just preface this by saying um, one of the issues with uh, scientists is that they're usually very bad at communicating science. I remember when I was a young boy coming back from college and I went to my boss and I said, I've just learned about pH. And he said, well, what's pH? And he said, well, it's the log to the base 10 of the reciprocal of the hydrogen ion concentration in grandmas per litre. And he smacked me across the head and said, it's just pH, it's just acid and base. And, and he's right. And so, so that's the preface to what I'm going to talk about. Sometimes by abstracting things to another, COVID is so emotional. It really has become... Uh, a world emotional um, issue. You know, probably not in the last um, 50 years have we seen anything like this in terms of a global response to an infectious disease. And sometimes it's better to just abstract it into how do you deal with infectious diseases per se? And I've been doing this all my life pretty much, uh, trying to stop bugs getting into your pharmaceutical products, trying to get stop bugs killing people in hospital acquired infections. And so a good way to, to exemplify that is that, um, and I'm going to have some fun here because Auckland is the global centre for venereal disease in New Zealand. Chlamydia, uh, syphilis and gonorrhea. I mean, these guys are just going out there spreading this like crazy. So how do you deal with that? I mean, you could, um, certainly we don't want somebody from Auckland who's infected with gonorrhea going down to Palmerston North and infecting all the girls down there. That would be terrible. So we could stop that simply by stopping everybody moving. We could shut the whole thing down. Or we could have a look at what we could do to mitigate the causal effects of that and actually treat the, the, the first source of the disease. There's a thing in pharmaceutical science which talks about failure mode cause risk analysis. And that is what is the root cause of all the problems that we've got? And so the root cause of this problem is that we've got this disease that infects people but we need to work on what that really means. So um, even uh, in New Zealand, and I'll show you something, I don't think you can probably see it on the camera, but we'll have a look. It doesn't show up particularly well, but I'm Just gonna read it out anyway. This is yep. um, a, um, from the New Zealand Medical Journal. It talks about your chances of dying from COVID. You're not gonna die if you get chlamydia. We can protect you from getting chlamydia by giving you a condom and if you wear it, it'll be okay. But the problem is getting everybody to wear a condom if they're infected is actually quite complicated. So it's very complicated to try and mitigate some of these infectious diseases. But what you have to focus on is just how you've got to have a remedy for the disease and understand the epidemiology of the disease. So what we know right now, based on New Zealand statistics and global statistics is, if you're under the age of 50 years of age, your chances of dying of COVID are about the same as flu. 
if you are, say, not to 19 years of age, your chances of dying from COVID um, in New Zealand are 0, 0.00. And that's where we get this issue with some of the treatments that we're applying. So right now, the New Zealand government has said that um, kids between the age of 13 and 15 can make their own decision about whether they want to be um, vaccinated against COVID. What the European community has said, and the UK and the CDC Centre for Disease Control, is that the risks of side effects from vaccines is about 0.25%. So if you vaccinate a kid who will not die of COVID, you're putting them at risk of having a, an, a, a kind of um, secondary effect, um, which may cause them to have um, adverse healthcare outcomes. So it doesn't make sense. That's why they've said, we don't recommend in the UK that you vaccinate your kids. The only reason that you would vaccinate your kids, um, and that's what the New Zealand government has decided to do, is that it would protect other people from getting infected. So my thesis is if we were looking at a control strategy for COVID, it would be far more sensible to focus on protecting the people that are most vulnerable. I mean, an 80-year-old woman living in Rotorua is not likely to be worried about getting gonorrhea. So we really need to actually focus on people that might get an infectious disease and be dying as a consequence of that. And that leads us nicely into the stats for COVID uh, as we know them on the global stage. And that is if you're 80 years or over, your chances of dying from COVID are about 7%. And so that's worth protecting people you know, from. So we need to protect certainly the age. I think there's another part here, which is important for us to understand about how COVID affects people. So for instance, um, if you are European in New Zealand, this is from New Zealand stats, and you're 80 years old, you're 6.7% chance of dying of COVID. But if you're Māori, you'll be twice that figure. So Māori will be twice as likely to die of COVID at the age of 80. And that really underpins the problem with the disease. The, it, it affects the weak. It affects weak people. And this is the truth. Um, I, I've done, I'm the only person in New Zealand that's had, um, I think, probably 500 blood tests for my TNB cells because of the trials that I've done over the world over years. And what I've got is an abnormal white blood cell count. What that means is that if somebody, if a bug comes into my system, I will kill it because I've had yellow fever, I've had all sorts of things. I've got a natural immunity that I've built up for all these infectious diseases. And we know that normal um, uh, immunity um, that's community transported is, is much more beneficial than vaccines. I'm not saying we don't need to do vaccines. I'm just saying that we're all different. And so my ability, my, if you give me a vaccine, I might respond quite differently than somebody else. So there's risk factors. Um, as a scientist, I look at all of the statistics and uh, we, you, most people don't know and we don't hear about this because you're not working in my industry. But the factories that are producing the vaccines right now have had the most recalls for products for poor quality control. And you can imagine that if you're making much more than you normally do, then you need to actually, you take risks because you need to get the volumes up. So both um, the, the guys at, and I can't remember the exact stats, but um, both um, Pfizer and a number of other ones have had uh, FDA recalls um, uh, and I had to dump products because there were, there, there were problems with mold, even mold in some of the, these are automatic production lines, and if they're not sanitised quite, you know, quite accurately, they can have problems. So we've got to marry up this risk-benefit of what we're trying to do. Um, so if it, if it were me and I was starting from scratch, I would have protected those people that are most at risk rather than sequestering the whole country. Um, and I think that what's happening on the world stage is we're seeing that played out. We're seeing that played out in Europe. I mean, just today, Scott Morrison was saying that... Um, now, our, our, our elimination strategy is not sustainable because um, that, that's their experience that we will keep. I think New Zealanders probably feel that if they got into the sixth level of shutdown and there was no ability to fix it, we'd all start going in the street as they have in Melbourne because they've been locked down for six months with no real well, mitigation. Let me just let me just jump in there because uh, I want us to be cautious of the ideas that we're sharing here today. Um, 
you know, and to mention that New Zealand might um, do similar to Australia or other places. Um, I'd rather we rather we stay away from making suggestions or putting ideas in people's head, because we are fortunate by being a much smaller population. Um, uh, I think that with any bell-shaped curve, the more the number inside it, um, the greater the extremes at the other at each end. So if you have a bell-shaped curve of 100, you've got extremes, I think, of plus or minus three at each end. If you have a bell-shaped curve of a million, well, you got, what is that? I can't do maths, but 3,000, 30,000, 3 million, I don't know. But the numbers start getting bigger. So if, if, if one person decides, I'm not very happy, that's okay. They go talk to someone. If 30,000 or 30 million people decide they're not very happy, then yes, it's a bit hard to change the direction of that elephant. Um, well, but, I think um, something that's very important that is that comparing data from the Northern Territory to New Zealand is, is irrelevant. Um, what we do know about transmission of infectious diseases is that there are a number of factors at play, and one of them is environmental. So, um, if you have low temperature and low humidity, you transport this virus over much larger distances than you do if you have a high humidity. And population density is another factor. So a lot of the modelling that was done for uh, how, how many people are going to die in New Zealand, it was originally 80,000 people going to die on the modelling. But it was never going to happen in reality because we're blessed because of our environment. We've got a population density of about 13 people per square kilometre. In Australia, it's four times as high. So it makes sense what you're talking about um, um, is that, um, you know, you're, more, you're going to come into contact with far more many people and therefore, we can't compare what's happening in, and that's one of my worries about misinformation, is that we're comparing this drama that's going on in the Northern Territory, uh, you know, uh, with, with UK and the USA, compared with us. Uh, it's very hard for a bacteria or even a virus to spread when you've got high humidity, because it's a bit like rain. As they try and flow through the air, they drop out. Okay. So we've got better chance of surviving this disease because of where we live. And you'll see that played out in all the Pacific Islands um, and countries that have got high humidity. It's only with low temperature and low relative humidity that we see really massive transfer of these bacteria and viruses across. So that's how we were able to reduce hospital infections in developing countries, by knowing all this science and actually applying really? that science. What I want to see in New Zealand is that we apply that technology to our current predicament. Well, thank you very much for that. We do have some questions um, here from Phil Ryan and Ian Taylor, but what I'm going to suggest to everyone listening is that we'll come back to questions and um, we'll turn over and hear from Kay Marie Dunn and do all questions at the end. So we've got them all here written down. Thanks very much for putting them into comments, team. So we'll come back to those in the, in the last five minutes. Um, but if Kay, if I could get you to uh, share a little bit. And um, one of the questions that you might be about to talk about um, that has been raised, I think, in every press conference, and uh, Ray raised it himself, is the, um, if I'm not getting my words wrong, propensity or the, the risk uh, for Māori being higher than um, Pākehā, I think is the right separation, correct me if I'm wrong, could be just Māori, you know, Māori at greater risk. And as you've just mentioned, Ray, environment's one thing, there's all these different factors. What are the factors that make that so? Oh, I think you might be on mute. Sorry. Kia ora, thank you for sharing um, your insights. Um, so kia ora, everybody. My name's Kay Marie, and I mentioned earlier I'm the director of Making Everything Achievable, and our uh, involvement with COVID, I guess, is uh, part of an army of um, really hard kaimahi um, in our communities. And uh, we've picked up the um, the servant role of our uh, iwi collective into Taitokero in the north um, for Te Kahua Taunui. Um, so we oversee and manage um, the communications um, to serve our 11 iwi in the north. Part of that work um, has required us to help stand up um, a regular ipanui or a newsletter so that we can help digest and synthesize 
the amounts of data and information that's been flying out from government across agencies and across iwi um, in really nice short sharp easy chunks so it's really easy to understand what's the state of play and we're seeing that it's shifting and changing um, I want to acknowledge Te Kaho Taunui um, because there's a collective um, and there are many other collectives across Aotearoa and this is where uh, whānau hapu iwi groups, Monoi groups have been able to come together um, during these unprecedented times and collaborate in ways that we've not seen quite possibly since World War II. Uh, where uh, we may have not always been kind to our cousins but we had to come together because the joint enemy was COVID. So when we talk about statistics or numbers, for me personally, that's somebody's grandmother, grandfather, brother, sister, child, and therefore any number, any New Zealander, any New Zealander's life that is lost as a result of COVID-19 is a loss to our nation. So for us in regards to how might we go about protecting our region, um, our communities pretty much got into action really quickly. One of those was a volunteer force called the Taitukero Border Control, where they stood up um, beside the police, but actually um, it was quite a lot of tension because um, as Māori who will assert their own authority in their own tribal jurisdictions will say, it is our responsibility to do whatever we can to ensure that the illness does not come into the region. Now, of course, a lot of conversation has been had where, um, where iwi Māori have said, close the borders. If you wanted to eradicate the illness, we should have closed the borders. But that's a whole other conversation. However, those have been the high-level discussions that have been brought to government. Um, and then, of course, how might we then protect our region? So I want to acknowledge the Taitokero Border Control because, again, um, off their own bat as volunteers, they were doing 24-7 uh, checks and making sure that the people that were coming into the region um, were supposed to be there. And we saw from this last lockdown in 24 hours, hundreds of Aucklanders left their homes in the city and they took off to different locations and many of them actually came to the north. And unfortunately, we weren't able to stand up um, the, our regional response as quickly as we'd like um, because of resourcing issues, etc. So the other part of our role is to ensure that people get trusted information. And so one of the concerns that I'm really seeing at the moment is uh, whānau member against whānau member, neighbour against neighbour around misinformation. And the misinformation that we're seeing in our space is a whole lot of conspiracy theories about the dangers of the vaccine. Um, and today, I'm quite pleased to say I got my very first shot today. And for me personally, that's quite a significant um, shift because I've been sitting across this COVID-19 response for some time. I'm lucky enough to have access to a lot of information but at the end, I chose to take the vaccination one, even though I know it's a Delta variant and it's different, but I wanted to do my part to help boost my own immune system. Um, but secondly, I just didn't feel comfortable if we're going to be helping whānau make a decision. We don't force people to make a decision, but if we're going to be communicating and encouraging whānau to do the right thing, not for themselves only, but for the community, then I also had to be pono and truthful and actually do the same myself. Um, but misinformation and disinformation is really 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 dangerous um, and I'm seeing that it's that the government are quite slow in trying to either put out information um, but also fact check and again utilize the power of science and experience to help people and guide people through what is quite a scary time. Um, the other consideration, of course, for the North has been the economic impact of COVID, um, not only on um, the tourism sector, um, the housing sector, the construction sector, um, but also we saw in the last lockdown a radical shift um, in the growth, exponential growth of Māori enterprises, whānau businesses, e-commerces that just um, took off, which has been amazing because we've realised that traditional industries that um, many of our people were occupying will not necessarily serve our communities now or into the future. This is also impacting the way that our children are being educated. Um, again, we weren't so used to Zoom life, um, but now Zoe is part and parcel of our everyday behaviour. So 
Um, one of the other noticings that I've had is how Māori communities are evolving with this particular illness. And one area specifically has been the impact on our cultural traditions of tangihanga. Quite important because we are not in a position right now on level four, uh, no one is able to go with the two papaku, with their dead, and um, farewell them in the way that uh, we have traditionally. Um, so that in itself is really painful. So again, I want to acknowledge all the families that um, are not able to say goodbye to their loved ones. Um, but also, how do we evolve with that? So we've also seen uh, tangihanga and cultural traditions actually start to take place online, um, which I feel is a real testament to... Uh, how we utilise the tools of today and utilise it for our own requirements um, as a community. The other consideration that I've seen as well is um, our frontline workers. So I want to acknowledge you, um, Sue Ray, for the challenges that you've made to the government around um, the adequate use of PPE gear, um, because a lot of our workers are, um, are they adequately protected considering this new variant? And to answer your question, Ryan, around why are Māori quite possibly more vulnerable to, um, to COVID and Delta? Uh, I would say a range of things. I would say that um, part and parcel of being whānau means that you're going to be living closely together. Um, the other part is that a lot of the frontline workers that are close to the airport, drivers, um, those that are at the airport, um, those that are essential service workers tend to be Māori and Polynesian people. So they're actually right in the firing line. Um, so if they do end up bringing the illness home to their families and they might have big whānau, then of course they'll be at risk. And then of course we tend to congregate as communities as well. And so we've seen with this latest outbreak um, with a particular church, again, um, people that have come together to to pray and to care for each other, um, those are also super spreader options, opportunities as well. But again, one of the challenges that we've seen in the communication space is the unfair and bias of the media who congratulated the person that got the illness this, this latest round. But then when a family in South Auckland um, were also afflicted with COVID, they got hammered. There was so much racism <coughs> thrown at them, which was a real um, disappointment. My final point that I wanted to um, add, um, Sue Ray, was you made a comment about humidity and um, the spreadability of the virus. And if I'm looking at the Northern Territories, I'm specifically looking at the First Nations people, the Aboriginal people, and how the um, virus is spreading there but also in cold countries like Alaska um, and where other indigenous populations are, and we're still seeing high numbers of COVID wiping out these communities. So I'm really interested to ask you about herd immunity, because everybody's talking about herd immunity, but if I look at what's going on in Fiji, you know, that's a warm climate. Um, that The virus is, is taking out so many of the people on a regular basis, and there'll be a whole wide range of systemic issues as to why. Um, but I'm really interested to get your perspective on herd immunity because my concern about herd immunity is that those that will quite possibly be the first um, to help with herd immunity in Aotearoa, again, will be Māori and Pacifica families. Those are relations, those are whānau. So I don't want the well-being of the entire nation to be resting on um, the very few who are the most vulnerable. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. I don't need to respond to that. Um, uh, Ryan, is that, is that yeah, please do. Go, go for it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you've raised a couple, a number of points, and and it's and it's great actually. Um, and and unfortunately, it's a complex algorithm. You know, um, the the physics is that we know that humidity. Um, so um, the the country with the highest hospital acquired infection rates in in the OECD is Canada. And that's because of of the this issue with the the, the humidity being not there, uh, and but in, in New Zealand we're the second highest, but we've not we've got humidity. So how have we got the second highest rate of hospital crime infections next to Canada? And the reason for that is that our hospital systems are not uh, trained to deal with infectious diseases, and that's the reason for the high death rate. But we've got to talk about two different things here. There's death rates and there's infection rates. Infection rates don't mean you're going to die. You know, if we look at the stats for this thing, 
most people under 50 will not die of COVID. So the more people under 50 that get infected, the more you will have high herd immunity and it will all be perfectly fine. But we don't want Mrs. Smith in uh, the rest home to get it. So the best way we can stop her getting it is to go when you did. Right now, there's a nurse dealing with a patient in a rest home, not wearing a mask. And, and what I've been advocating is that we need to make all the frontline workers, including midwives, start to be trained in how we prevent infectious diseases. Um, and so our Prime Minister has told us that we can go out jogging. And I got to the end of the road with my girl to take her out because she was going stir crazy. We got to the traffic lights and had to stop. A jogger appeared uh, without his mask on against all of us who were masked up. And so that's how simple it happens. I can prevent hospital-wide infections if I get everybody to follow the rules. But they really do have to follow the rules. They have to go in with the... We have overshoes going into our hospitals. We have complete PPE. We have masks. We have hoods, head covering. And they know how to don and doss this stuff. With the right vaccination... Sorry, with the right um, sanitization, sanitization agents, we can prevent hospital-wide infections. You're probably safer to go into one of my hospitals in Nepal than you are to go into a hospital in New Zealand because we've got the second highest hospital card infection rates in the developed world. And that's because we're not prepared for it. So if, I, if we're going to go down an immersion strategy, I want to see the government boost up. We, we, we've got, we used to, when I arrived in New Zealand in 1973, we had one of the highest bed to population uh, densities in the world. We, were, we had more hospital beds than most other countries in the world. Right now, we're right at the bottom. We don't pay our nurses. We don't look after our nurses. We are going to be in deep shit if we don't actually start looking after the, the, the tertiary. The reason that people have died in Fiji is because there's no respirators. I, I was up there when I was doing my research, my incubator, and the systems are munted. There's nothing there. The, the, the people don't even have a thermometer in some of these clinics, and that's why they're dying. It's not because of humidity. So it's a complex algorithm. And the problem we have with the Maori community is because, as you said, they're like the Greeks. They love, they're all together. The reason that in Melbourne they had such an outbreak was because the Greeks don't give a shit. They congregate. They have to kiss each other. They won't be isolated. And the Maoris are the same. They will always go together and be whānau and look after each other. So we've got some social problems we need to overcome. But some things that are very pragmatic and very simple, wearing a mask, which is an N95 fitted mask, you can walk through a battlefield of COVID and probably come out okay. You don't need to be vaccinated. You don't need... So I, I know how to prevent infections, but unfortunately, we don't have control over all our DHBs and, and our health system. So on, on that note, when people are wearing a mask, what about our eyes? Like, I actually wear my sunglasses as well, which are, which are wraparound, yeah. and then I wear my hoodie over um, to try yeah. and... It's not going to be aware much. I've been my care um, over the years. Uh, in fact, by the time my youngest daughter is my age, at least 100 million people have their sight restored because of the technology I invented for make low-cost intraocular lenses in, in just one one place in Nepal with one factory. Um, and so, what happens um, with your eyes? You think about it. It's one of the few membranes that's open to the air all the time. And what your eye has worked out is this mucous membrane has got this huge antimicrobial, antiviral um, thing. It's a big misnomer. In fact, uh, so is uh, um, formate transmission, which is touching things. If you, you've got about a 0.3% chance of getting COVID through touching a surface contaminated with COVID, okay, only 0.3%. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and in your eye situation, uh, it's even probably less. There's a bacterial agent in your eye which will stop most things. Because you get you scratch your eye and nobody does anything with it. It actually heals itself. That your vitreous has actually got this coating over it. So a mask, uh, sorry, a, a visor is great because it will actually protect you from getting splashed by people, getting it onto your skin, and then you touch your skin and you might put it in your mouth. You've got a three percent chance of getting it. But the way that you'll get COVID, even up to 18 meters apart is through airborne transmission. And that's how it got into the country because they're now looking at whether it was a walkway or whether it was in the uh, the entry point to the hotel. So social distancing in a supermarket two metres isn't going to protect you. Wear a mask. If two people wear a mask, then it's even better because your chances of transmitting, and it's that simple. So we've got to that's get great. in. If we do want to eliminate um, this thing, we all have to do it together. 
And I'm not against the elimination strategy at all. I'm just saying, as I would with a startup, let's make sure that we do the right analysis to make sure we can get there. And let's make sure if we do get into a situation where we do need to put people into hospital, we've got a reasonable chance of keeping them alive. Right now, our IC units are not even prepared. Right now, a year after the event, and I've done stuff under the IQA, um, you know, so, so Official Information Act, uh, to try and find out what's going on. And it's a mess. And we know it's a mess because, of course, the government are trying to get all the DHPs to work under one umbrella because they won't talk to each other. Nobody's quite sure what the, the, the amount of stock that they've got. Um, and, and our nurses are really overworked. Most of our hospitals in New Zealand have a 20% shortage of staff now, let alone when we get COVID. So what I want to see is if we're going to do elimination, let's do it together. Let's get our hospital system sorted out. Let's get our awareness campaigns. If we wanted to fix chlamydia in, um, in, in, uh, in Auckland, we would actually have an education campaign about wearing a condom. So we need to get a proper education thing. It's not okay to wear a, not wear a mask when you're running because you will infect somebody. I yeah. can infect, I can protect you. Well, you have a thing there, right? yeah. Oh, thank you. I was just going to say. the rules and we can get through this. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to comment, there's been a, there's a range of comments and questions we want to get to. We're just uh, five minutes over time, so I just wanted to check with you both that we're okay to go back and have a look at these questions. And um, if we give it a, a quick lick to begin with, and then we might come back to deeper so we can get through them all. And any, any viewers that might need to get off for their kids' dinner or uh, do anything, they can. Um, but before we do, I'd just like to comment that, yeah, I think everybody I have walked past in West Auckland has not been wearing a mask. And I started saying... Um, to people, hey, are you aware you're meant to be wearing a mask outside? You don't have to, but you're meant to. And people go, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll be fine. And um, I live in West Auckland. And, of course, um, the next thing, the Avondale School came on. And now we've got something like six, was it 11 schools. Yeah. Um, so the next day I saw the same people and they're wearing a mask. And I said, oh, you're wearing a mask today. And they said, oh, yeah, my kid goes to Avondale School. And I was oh. like, right. So actually, I'll... I won't tell that story. It's a story I use when I talk about try to convince people to change management. Um, it's about my father and how he doesn't use IT. But well, there's a short story. He doesn't use IT. But when Mum, who's a CIO, went away on holiday, he decided to use IT. And um, when Mum come back, he wasn't just emailing people about rugby around the world. Um, someone had asked to set up a Facebook account, so he set up a Facebook account and was almost on Facebook 23 hours a day talking rugby to people around the clock. And he wouldn't touch Facebook before that, but the catalyst for change for him was that he could talk rugby. So, you know, catalyst for change was this person suddenly had their child at the same school that was now on the news. Boom, they change. But even today, we walked the dog just before I set up tonight and um, walked past the school that's got a big sign saying you cannot enter um, school grounds, school playgrounds are out. There are three different groups playing basketball. Um, there are families on the, on the jungle gym and... I said to my wife, I said, shall I go and say something? Because I'm not afraid to go and say anything to anyone. And she said, no, just leave it. We'll walk on, forget about it. And uh, I said, yeah, but they live in our neighbourhood. What if what if they, you know, so you mentioned before about you can't, it's not a, it's not, um, you can't get it from touching surfaces or it's a very low percentage. So that's um, something. All the things we talk about, what I'd also like to do is that we, we put in the um, links to the facts somewhere if we can try and accumulate those um, because, yeah, it'd be good to, you know, substantiate it with some, um, some um, stuff in writing, basically. But now let's go back and have a look at these questions. I think the first one that came up, if I go back to the beginning, was uh, actually Phil Ryan. So I'm just scrolling back through looking here, and I'll pop it up on screen. So you'll be able to see it. So I'll read it out. It says, you can't say COVID won't kill you and compare that to there might be a side effect from the vaccine. That is assuming a binary consequence from COVID. What is the risk of side effects from COVID? Well, um, the, the, the truth is we don't know. Um, about the. Um, uh, it's, it's the same, I guess, algorithm as we don't know um, what the effects of the vaccine are. We probably won't know for five to ten years. This is an experimental vaccine. I'm not being an anti-vaxxer, I'm being a, a professional pharmaceutical scientist. What we've learned from the epidemiology of these things is that we don't see, typically, chronic problems until five to ten years after. 
and we're putting in a, a, an antiviral into our immune system. If you put it into me, it would probably be very bad for me because of my high white blood cell counts, and I'm slightly different. But when you go to the doctors, uh, everybody's got a different kind of biochemistry. So some people will be allergic to drugs and some won't be allergic to drugs, and that's just the nature of who we are. So mass vaccination will inevitably pull up some people. When I was talking about won't kill you, won't kill you, it probably won't kill you. Uh, the stats and, and, and everybody, the CDC and everybody else will confirm this, that the stats say that if you're under the age of 50, your percentage chance of dying with COVID is very, very low. But of course, we don't know um, what um, long COVID may do or whatever. Yes. Um, but Actually, there's another algorithm there is because uh, natural immunity is much better and it may mean that long COVID doesn't work, but it may work with a vaccine. So it's very complex you know, chemistry we're working. We're making it up as we go along. We really don't know what we're doing. This is an experimental uh, drug that's been pushed through um, and um, it, apparently it is safe and they've been quite clear on not an anti-vaxxer. From the information that we have right now, there's, there's no indications right now that this, this vaccine is unsafe, okay? For the majority of users, it's perfectly safe, what we know right now. So I've, I've had it. Kay-Marie's had her first jab. Have you had it? Are you, are you happy to share whether you have it or haven't? No, I haven't had it, no. Okay. No, that's cool. So I think we've got but that one. It's only because I've got a particular immune system that it could be much more dangerous for me than it would be for an average person. Because my uh, immune system will attack it in a quite a different way. Excellent. So thanks for that understanding regarding the white blood cell. So Serene Taylor, who's on the Thursday morning uh, session um, and gave us the concept of Talanoa, um, He's, his question here says, Phil Ryan, yes, dying is just one consequence. Are we not starting to see others? So that's his correction to himself afterwards, so you can see it. But um, you know, perhaps, Kay-Marie, are we seeing other uh, consequences that you're aware of that are being fed through the Iwi Collective? Are there things that um, you'd like to share or that you've observed? Well, I mean, that's the worst consequence of the illness, of course. But as I mentioned earlier, there are um, significant economic impacts where families are really struggling. And right now, um, in the North, uh, mental health and suicides are a significant are, are of significant challenge at the moment, as well as the rise of domestic violence, um, which I know is a, an area close to your heart, Surrey. So we are seeing a concentration of all of these social issues really bubble up to the surface during this time. Um, I am actually really impressed with the way that Jacinda and um, the current Labour government are responding in the best way that they can, um, but also at a micro level, at a household level, there's still a lot to be done, and that's really um, within each household, you know, deciding what it is that they want to do with themselves. But I really appreciate that um, Minister Marama Davidson has put some communications out there which says, look, if you need to get out of your bubble because you're um, at risk of, of violence in your home, um, then she will do whatever she can at her level to ensure that you can be safe to leave. And that means gearing up uh, women's refuges and um and it's not just women that are at risk of violence, it's also men as well. But I think that's um, those are some other significant consequences that we're seeing. Housing issues have been exasperated. Um, access to quality kai is also exasperated. So, um, so we're seeing those issues. On the flip side also, I want to say that even though um, we have a tendency to congregate together as a community, I'm actually seeing really, really wise practice where whānau have actually stuck to their own bubbles, are utilising appropriate hygiene, um, encouraging their whānau to, um, to stay away. Um, I think that the tricky part will be our tangihanga. How are we going to be able to grieve for our loved ones when we can't see them? Mm. Yes. I think that's what you raised is a very important thing and what, um, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the question talks to uh, so talked to is that um, we really haven't done a true algorithm analysis of when you try and do any operation of anything you try and do a failure mode cause risk analysis a good example is right now you're more likely to um, 
die of surgery from prostate cancer as you are of the disease because we got very good at diagnosing it but in many cases um, the people will live longer if they didn't get the surgery it's not the same for things like breast cancer we know a lot more about diseases and how to treat them and so in this case um, we need to do an algorithm about what are the risk benefits of whatever strategies we apply right now i mean i was on linkedin and i was talking some woman had, had, a lady had put a blog up and said she'd lost um, three people in the last month to suicide that were good friends of hers and i've personally lost two because of direct cause of lockdowns because their businesses failed they were in the hospitality industry and so we need to do a bit of bit broader algorithm about what's the cost of our strategies in the long not from just the economic um, but from the mental health i mean to be honest with you um uh i found this second uh, gig much harder than the first gig you know on a personal level because i'm trying to do things ironically uh, i'm actually setting up a new uh, organization to address domestic violence um, in new zealand and it's it's a wonderful campaign with a whole lot of supporters and huge media communications and it's all being stymied and held up as a consequence of the, the lockdown because people can't meet together and we can't get our fundraising going and so on uh, because of the other thing that happens in these things is that it and this is an important thing for new zealand my big message to new zealand is that um, this disease is not just one of a physical nature it is something that's degrading our society um, i um, went to go to the supermarket a few uh, you know hours ago uh, and well, i couldn't get out the driveway because there's a testing station nobody would let me out in my car because they didn't want to lose their place so i waited until this was the other day waited until eight o'clock at night and i went to the supermarket and there was nothing there and this shows our society can be so fragile our society is that when these things happen people show the, the worst behaviors right. and i think we need to look after each other and say we can get through this but we're going to have to do it as a team it's tough um, but let's look at make sure that if we're going to live through my big thing here is that if we're going to live through these uh, lockdowns and there could be another one and another one after this unless we actually put some holes in the dam where it's leaking this was led in through our miq system and i'd met with them and told them what they could do to fix it and and nobody listened so i don't want to go through it again um i'm so i'm just asking and i would like oh, if we could get nothing out of this conversation to get get people to start focusing on looking after each other uh that would be a great thing and then the next thing would be to uh salute and in america you can't get a serviceman to go and buy a coffee if you go to america and you see a serviceman go in to try and buy a coffee somebody will buy it for him and say thank you for your service because they recognize the commitment that these people make to keeping us safe and the people that we need to take our hat off to are our frontline medical people and our nurses struggling to get a fair pay and they're going on strike not because of money because they they're frightened they can't look after their patients in the right way now and you'll see a lot of that on on, on social media people have gone into their operations and nobody's phoned them or it's a mess we need to focus on our whanau um, so if anything good can come out of the pandemic it may be that we look at our hospital systems and say let's fix them up because we need them often people have said to me don't focus on the hospital systems ray because if we close the borders you don't need the hospitals trust me when you get sick and you need your bowel cancer operation you'll need the hospitals invest in our hospitals cool well thank you very much for that uh, that rundown that's that's almost um what we'll consider or we'll call a closing remark um and what I'd like to do is invite Kay Marie to uh, share hers. I think we've got through all the questions. There's certainly a lot of congratulations and thanks. Um, ooh, there's one thing that maybe, hang on, what's that one? Neighbours have Avondale students. Mum is primary teacher and dad is AUT. Talk about a connection of clusters in one place. Oh, sorry. Wasn't quite a question, but yes. Um, all the more important to your message of, being kind and looking after each other. So coming back to you, Kay Marie, um, don't know if you had a little moment to collect thoughts for closing remarks. We're only 20 minutes over time, but I think it's been hugely useful by the um, look of the uh, comments that we've got. And this is, uh, I guess, 
uh, just the beginning of episode one. So if, if you're happy to share some closing remarks and some thoughts to leave people with, um, they'd be appreciated. Sure. Um, well, there is a question here around, um, is there a link between cultural traditions, beliefs and the take up of the COVID vaccine, both for Mali and yes, um, so just on that question, I think um, quite possibly. Um, however, individuals will make their own decisions. And I think that social media has really, really promulgated messaging um, that's just firing into family households. So if you remove the right of an individual or a citizen to make their own decision, um, then you're starting to infringe upon something. And there's been a lot of conversation around what that looks like. So I think that everybody has their own mana or their own ability to make their own decisions. Um, however, if we think broadly uh, beyond, I just want to look after myself versus I'm actually thinking about my, the well-being of my whanau, well-being of my kuiya kaumata or the well-being of my communities, then we're actually thinking about the collective. And to think collective and think about, you know, the team of 5 million or to think of others, I think, is a really, really important narrative that we're encouraging in our own communities and I'm also seeing um, reiterated by government. So I think that's really powerful. So I think that depends on the audience if uh, culturally specific messaging is going to land. Um, but I think you have to use a wide range of messaging to really reach people. So my final thoughts about COVID-19 is, um, first and foremost, I think that uh, a lot of this has been unknown and um, we've kind of been trialling things on the fly for some time, um, but we've learned from experience. And so, again, I just want to honour, um, as everyone else has, our frontline workers, our doctors, our medical professionals, um, also our taxi drivers, our, backs, uh, our bus drivers that have had to still work um, and our essential workers that still have to work um, to feed their families. And so I just want to honour them and tip, tip our hat of service to them because they're actually out there um, putting themselves at risk on a daily. Secondly, I also uh, want to acknowledge you, um, Sir Ray. I think that the challenges that you put forward around um, the quality standards at MIQ and also um, the donning and dossing of PPE gear and ensuring that everybody has some consistent practice around those rules is very, very important. You know, I have become a lot more attuned to the equipment that people are wearing. So I even questioned the woman that vaccinated me. She had one of those visors on. She had a mask. She didn't have anything else on. And I just said, um, have you been trained? She's a chemist. She said, I did two weeks worth of training um, and uh, and we weren't provided with PPE gear. So I think that that's quite an important point in regards to a consistent rollout of practice and what that looks like and what does that training look like. But I also don't want to say that that's not in place because I know that a lot of DHBs have been putting a lot of investment and time into resourcing their frontline workers. But if there are any holes in the process, then I think they need to be filled. Um, the final comment I also wish to make is a real hands-down acknowledgement to uh, our tribal authorities, um, our hapu communities, and also our community workers, uh, both online and in person, that have just been doing amazing things, whether or not that's highlighting what resources are available for whanau, people developing apps. There's a new app that's been built which helps people not be in line for long times, which I think was super cool because I... I raised that issue at the last lockdown. I wish somebody had created this thing. And I, it's awesome. I think it's kind of magic when somebody actually builds it. So I was really grateful for that. Um, but actually, the way that our communities have been able to mobilise, care for each other, communicate with one another, share information, share resources. And often our Māori, Pacifica communities have had to reach into their own pocket um, and actually volunteer or give time um, or or invest in their uh, mobilization of resources to distribute out to community. So I just want to acknowledge all of those groups that are working so hard around the clock. And um, I just really hope that you're looking after your well-being 
you know, we all nearly burnt ourselves out the first round because we just didn't know what was going on. We've got a little bit more information um, in our back pockets, but we're dealing with a, um, a different strain of this illness. And as um, Sir Ray said, it's airborne. So again, the practices that worked in the last round may not necessarily be appropriate for this round. And therefore, I think we need to evolve our practice. Um, and that's right across the board in regards to... Um, in regards to the way that we are going to be connecting and uh, working inside our communities as well. So, Modi Ora. Just one thing before we close, and that is to thank Brian. Uh, one of the, the nice things, uh, I, I, I spent a lot of my early life in or orphanages and I looked out at the world quite differently because I was, uh, nobody paid attention to me. I didn't have any love or anything, but I, I, I understood how the world worked just by watching, just by watching what, what, how people reacted. And one of the critical things here, Ryan, is that uh, these kind of um, communication portals are very uh, profound in that people um, often on social media or other platforms will say things uh, in, in, in a way that they would never say them to somebody in front of them, you know, in terms. So there's a metering and metric that goes with personal communication because at our heart, we are humans. Uh, we, that we might say something or somebody might say something on social media that they never say to somebody's face. I call it the traffic light syndrome where two people are driving on the road and they one cuts one up and they go, you fucking bastard, you fucking prick, you chick. And then they get to traffic lights and they go, and they, 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 won't, they won't admit that they've been an arsehole. And so this is the benefit of, of your kind of platform, Ryan, that, that it, 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 nobody's going to be awful to each other because we're human. And what we need to do is to get all of the whānau together and accept we've all got a responsibility to play. We may not know all the answers and we may not um, agree on every little tiny minutiae, but one thing that happens when we get together is we do become a family. Yes. It's a very nice point. So um, I'll, I'll close out um, by thanking both of you. Um, to Saray Avery and Kay Marie Dunn. Thank you very much for being on our first episode of Yarn Live, which is a special focus of a future with COVID uh, and the aim to share a range of diverse perspectives and views uh, under the theme of Talanoa, um, beautiful concept of um, uh, listening first and sharing um, views in a respectful way. And Kay Marie, if I could get you to say the two words Fakaro and Wananga? Is that the Māori, Tereo Māori word for Talanoa? It's, well, I think Talanoa has its own uh, it's, it has its own magic and its own majesty. I, in my mind, I just heard Fakarongo and which is to listen with your whole being, uh, and Wananga, which is to sit um, with with your cared ones, your your loved ones, your elders, and just listen to their knowledge and take it all in. So it was a great wānanga, and it was awesome to talanoa um, with you both. Thank you. Um, and just to cap off, um, we're going to be running a series. You might have seen in the post. Uh, we've got uh, Thursday the 26th uh, with uh, Sir Ian Taylor, John Foote. Um, there's a team, I can't think off the top of my head, all of them. Um, but we're going to hear from them each with a different perspective. And uh, we've also got David Downs on the 31st. Oh, and on the Thursday evening, we have what I'm calling the Town Hall, which is a Zoom call. Um, hopefully we can fill it with 500 people. Um, we've got a range of speakers, including Brett O'Reilly, who's a um, leading business figure, runs the EMA and has been around uh, all different aspects, um, talking to, um, I can't mention it, but talking to the PM on Thursday morning, so he'll have some good update for Thursday night for us. Not that I was allowed to say that. Um, and I you know, just want to build a bit of community around it and the ability to understand people's perspectives because uh, generally something that's way off the mark is driven by a fear, and it's not until someone gets to express that fear that people can help them understand uh, whether it's real or not. Um, and this problem about misinformation you talked about, um, you know, if someone comes out and says, oh, um, what did Trump say? If you drink, um, drink, what is it? I can't think of the word. Disinfectant. If you drink disinfectant, you'll clean up COVID. So if anyone's got any belief 
as crazy as that. Those are the things that we're more than happy to hear. We're not going to rubbish them or rubbish the person. We're just going to help them understand the actual truth. So hope you all picked up that um, absolutely funny one from um, Trump, which was if you drink disinfectant, that will save you from COVID. It won't. Um, uh, but we welcome all sorts of diverse uh conversation discussion let people raise concerns let us answer them um ideally we'll get a range of uh, links put in there as well for all the different facts and stacks so that we've got um some sub, you know substantiated stuff and people don't take a, a snippet of conversation away and get the wrong end of the stick um because of course the the thing i should say is that from uh, you know perspective of Hugh quiet yarns um, I would have to refer back to the Ministry of Health as the official uh, guidelines. If anyone has uh, any facts or questions that they'd like to query on that, then I'd direct them to go th through the official channels of the Ministry of Health to get anything changed, updated, corrected in addition. Now, I know that might not work for everybody, but I think that's a, a safe way to play it um, for now and, of course, collect all these opinions. So with that, if we could say a collective kakitiano to everybody and we can then off, head off to our dinner. So we're ready on a one, two, three. One, two, three. Kakitiano. <laughs> Kakite koto. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.